Welcome to The Money Hour with host Tina Mitchell and co-host Keelan Harvey. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145420, and Keelan Harvey, MLO 133075, are licensed loan originators with Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC, and MLS 7233. The views expressed by the speakers on the following program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC, nor are they necessarily endorsed by Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC. Now, in the studio, local mortgage experts, Tina Mitchell and Keelan Harvey. Welcome to the Money Hour at 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, June 30th show. I am your host, Tina Mitchell. And your co-host, Keelan Harvey. Welcome back, Keelan. I missed you last week. I was flying solo all by myself while you were fishing with the guys. I missed you guys, too. I was wishing it was a little bit more lake and less deadliest catch, but uh, we made it and we're safe and I'm back. So. Oh, welcome back, Keelan. We are your local mortgage experts bringing in advice and inside knowledge on today's events in our local economy and how they can affect your money. If you're hearing our show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast, but we're here to answer any questions or connect you with the guests that we have on the show today. Please call the show at 1-855-411-50. Again, that's 1-855-411-50 or online at themoneyhour.com. And the lineup for our show today, we have Don Desonier with Transitions in Dementia Care, Key Strategies for Addressing Challenging Behaviors in Dementia Care. Also in studio, first time in studio, so happy to have Susan Ward here, Windermere Real Estate, Yarrow Bay, choosing a great role tour to result in winning transactions. And last guest in studio, Karen Keering with Edward Jones. Are you ready to be an entrepreneur? Great information and great guests in studio today. For more information on any topics discussed, again, you can call the show at 1-855-411-50. Again, that's 1-855-411-50 or online at themoneyhour.com. And to start out today's show, just like we do each week with a little money chat. Money. Money. Today for Money Chat, I thought I'd bring in a little bit of real estate in Seattle news. Seattle has the hottest housing market in the country for the 20th month in in row, according to the Case-Shiller National Home Price Report. But there is hope for many frustrated consumers wanting to purchase in this crazy market that are trying to compete with the lack of inventory. A separate report released earlier this month indicates that the Seattle is starting to see a rise in the numbers of homes for sale. According to the Northwest Multiple Listing Service, NMLS, brokers added 14,524 new listings in Seattle and the surrounding area in May. The first time that this figure topped 14,000 since May of 2008. It's also the first time in close to four years that the market has shown an annual increase in the number of new listings. Now, the biggest gains in new listings and activity inventory were in King County, Snohomish, and Pierce. Also saw some decent increases, but further out is more on the mix of the bag with some counties still seeing decline listings in inventory. Now, also the rise of condo listings, an important trend because of condos tend to be less expensive and representative an opportunity for first-time home buyers. Now, condo inventory grew by 12.4% over last year, 
boosted by the addition of 1,803 new listings in May. Now, Case Shuller's report shows that Seattle home prices rising fastest in the nation. The latest data from Case Shiller Home Price Index, according to February data, was just released. Seattle's area home prices were up 1.7% January to February, up 12.7% year over year, and up 23.9% from July of 2007 peak. Over the same period, last year prices were up 1.8% month over month, and year over year prices were up 12.1%. Now, Seattle leads nation in both year over year and month over month home price growth. The only other metro areas with double digit prices growth from the year earlier are Las Vegas at 11.6% and San Francisco at 10.1%. Now, over the past two years, rent growth slowed across the country as new apartments hit the market and renters with the financial means had increased and jumped into the housing market. However, Seattle's rent appreciation was still over the 2018 national average of 2.1%. So lots of stuff going on in Seattle. I mean, the big question is a little bit more inventory coming on the market. Is that going to help it make it a little bit easier for our buyers as we go um, further into the year? I hope so that we get into a little less crazy real estate market. So it'll be interesting to see um, how all of that plays out. And that's your money chat for today. Coming up next in the money are key strategies for addressing challenging behaviors in dementia care. Dawn Disonier with Transitions in Dementia Care, right here in 1150 AM KKNW after the short break. It's true. Many of us spend more time thinking about what's for dinner than preparing for retirement. But if you think your retirement deserves more attention, Karen Koenig agrees and she'd like to help. Hi, I'm Edward Jones Financial Advisor Karen Koenig. Together we can give your long-term retirement strategy the intention it deserves. Contact our office at 425-355-3054 or email me at karen.koenig at edwardjones.com. That's K-A-R-E-N dot K-O-E-N-I-G at edwardjones.com. Again, the number is 425-355-3054 or Karen Koenig at edwardjones.com. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. Are you frustrated in this challenging market of multiple offers? You're not alone, but having the right agent and the right strategy can stop the madness. Susan Ward with Windermere Real Estate East has assisted many individuals and families in the same position get into homes they love. Susan is a full-time realtor and has been practicing real estate for six years. Hi, this is Susan Ward. I'm with Windermere Real Estate East, Yarrow Bay office. To learn more about my strategies to get you into your new home, or if you're selling, sell for top dollar, please call me at 425-999-7721. That's 425-999-7721, and I look forward to talking to you. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, and co-host Keelan Harvey on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Now, back to the show with local mortgage experts, Tina Mitchell and Keelan Harvey. Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell. And co-host, Keelan Harvey. Your local mortgage experts right here in 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, June 30th show. It's a great day to talk about money, and that's what the show is all about. How to make money, save money, and have a better quality of life for you and your family. If you're hearing our show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast, but we're here to answer any questions or connect you with the guests that we have on the show today. Please call the show at one 855 411150. Again, that's one 855 
411-400-1150 or online at themoneyr.com. In studio right now, Don Desonier with Transitions in Dementia Care. And our topic today is key strategies for addressing challenging behavior in dementia care. Don, thank you so much for coming back in studio. It's great to see you again. Tina, I'm glad to be back. And a little bit about Don Desonier, Certified Senior Advisor, CSA, provides individual coaching along with family facilitation and elder care mediation services to caregivers and families of loved ones with Alzheimer's disease and related dementias. His journey to this professional calling is grounded in having been a caregiver to his wife, Nancy, who was diagnosed with early onset dementia in 2008 and passed away from this illness in 2012. Don has a certificate in gerontology from University of Washington, as well as a Juris Doctorate degree from the University of Arizona School of Law. And again, I think that this is a uh, topic, Don, that a lot of our listeners can relate to as the host of the show, I can, because my husband's mother is going through uh, this transition with her life is right now. So thank you so much for, for coming again uh, in studio with us. I'm glad to be able to be here and share uh, whatever information and insight I can give to people that are facing into this journey. Wonderful. Yeah, Don, can you share a little background with us? Help us understand what is dementia and is it the same as Alzheimer's? Uh, Keelan, that's a good question. In fact, I was at a senior resource fair a few days ago and somebody asked me, um, gosh, dementia, is that Alzheimer's or something along those lines? So the the easiest way to understand it is the term dementia refers to or represents a set of symptoms associated with cognitive decline. And examples of that might be memory loss, Mm -hmm. uh, difficulty with eating, bathing, and toileting, what they often call the um, activities of daily living or even more complicated matters like preparing meals, uh, doing your budget, paying your bills, driving and shopping and so forth, which are sometimes called instrumental activities of daily living. So dementia represents the symptoms that may be displayed. The disease that generates those symptoms is the disease that they might have. And Alzheimer's is the most common and frequent disease Mm. that somebody might have that would display those symptoms. In fact, 60 to 80% of individuals who uh, are exhibiting dementia-like symptoms have Alzheimer's. Of course, there are many other kinds of dementia illnesses or diseases, vascular cognitive impairment, for example, which is what I believe my wife Nancy had uh, mostly. Dementia with Lewy bodies and other uh, um, illnesses as well. So, Don, why is it important to understand the difficult behaviors in those with dementia? Well, it, that is a, a real good question, and it begins with this premise that you know when you're caring for somebody, a loved one who has dementia, that experience of caregiving can be really challenging, mm-hmm. but it also can be rewarding. The goal should always be to enhance the well-being of the care receiver. When somebody with dementia exhibits challenging behaviors or difficult behaviors and you're trying to figure out what to do, uh, the thing to remember is the person that is in distress always has a reason for being there. Sure. Rarely is a challenging behavior just a random thing that's happening out of the blue. So it's important to explore that, Mm. especially when the individual with dementia can't actually tell you what's going on. For example, they may be in pain or experiencing a lot of discomfort and maybe are past the point where they can verbalize that. So they may exhibit behavior that is an attempt to get your attention. Yeah. And the importance is to be able to engage that individual so that you can understand what's happening with them and help them. So Don, what 
what are some of example what are some examples of challenging behaviors specifically? Well, there's a, a variety of them, uh, as you can imagine. The ones that are most common and that are experienced would be wandering. Mm-hmm. Somebody that uh, leaves the house and, and goes down the street or, or just is in their residence is wandering around seemingly aimlessly, mm-hmm. but not likely that is the case. Uh, aggressiveness. Hmm. Um, sailor language, we'll call it, <laughs> especially if that's not something that they are normally uh, thought of as being a, a normal behavior, you know, yeah. swearing like a sailor, mm-hmm. uh, yelling, hitting, just refusing to do things like taking a bath and that kind of thing. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So with caregivers, what are some of the common mistakes that you see that caregivers make? Well, it's interesting uh, using the word mistake. And what I try to tell caregivers because people will make, make mistakes, if that's the sure. word to use, uh, especially when you're new to this, which virtually everybody is. Nobody is trained to care for somebody that's diagnosed with dementia. I try to tell people that you know, you're doing the best you can mm. with what you know. But when somebody is faced with a challenging behavior, it's uh, pretty common uh, to want it to go away because it's uncomfortable. It's just uncomfortable to be facing into that. You don't know what to do. Yeah. Denial could be one mm-hmm. reaction to that. Mm-hmm. You know, well, this isn't happening or, you know, gosh, I hope it stops soon. Uh, impatience, especially with men. Men, not atypically, want to be problem solvers and want to fix it. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so they may bypass getting an understanding of what's actually happening and just try to take care of it and problem solve it or try to reason their way through it, try to fix mm-hmm. it. And that's not always successful. So when you're facing these difficult circumstances, how important is it to really know and understand the person you're caring for? You know, that's pretty critical. Um, everybody is unique, and everybody has a story. Everybody has a background. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're caring with somebody with dementia, it's not done in a vacuum. Uh, they have a background. They have a history. They have a story of who they are. Uh, probably the best example I can give of that is there's a very uh, wonderful doctor by the name of G. Allen Power. Uh, He's a geriatric specialist, and he wrote the seminal work, Dementia Beyond Drugs, Changing the Culture of Care. And he talks about an individual that was residing in a care residence who would typically become angry, anxious, demanding, and upset after every dinner. Hmm. And he would continually demand I want a line. I want a line. And the staff were going nuts trying to figure out what is going on. What is he saying? What does he mean? They even tried to role play him wandering around yelling, I want a line, to try to figure out what was going on. Mm. And eventually they talked to his wife. And what they found out from his wife is that when he was active and engaged and healthy, he traveled quite a bit in his work. Mm. And what he would typically do when he was out of town, which was a lot, is after dinner, He would pick up the phone, probably a phone, probably not a cell phone, (laughs) and call his wife to check in with her. And once they heard that from his wife, they realized, well, heck, when he's yelling, I want a line, I I just want a telephone line. And that made a big difference. And so the point was they were patient enough to try to figure out Mm -hmm. what is really going on with this individual. So the more you understand Mm -hmm. who the person is, the more you might get a hint 
or a clue as to what is actually happening. Yeah, and so a good a key takeaway with that is to make sure that you're really communicating with uh, with the family, the ones that were around uh, them the most that might understand where that's coming from because it's always associated with something, a memory in their past, right? But that's right, and most residential care communities these days, and even when Nancy was going into a memory care residence, try to figure out and understand from the family and friends, uh-huh, yes. who is this person and what are they about? Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about uh, Nancy. And I just, uh, you know, I know a, a lot of us do what we do because uh, we're passionate about it. And that's always connected to a story or a why behind that. And obviously, uh, when I introduced you coming into uh, the show today is, you know, your why behind this is, you know, from from your wife. And so what did you learn in that process when caring for Nancy? Well, that's a, that's a good question. And I as, I as I think about that, I think of a number of situations where Nancy was exhibiting behaviors and how I handled it at that time and what uh-huh. might have actually been going on. So uh, late in her illness, when she was living at home, she would often slam doors, hmm. just slam doors, walk around angrily slamming doors, walking in and out of the house, slamming doors, slamming bedroom doors. She got aggressive, not necessarily in a wielding a knife sort of way, but just, mm-hmm. a, you know, just not characteristic of her. Mm-hmm. You know, got very aggressive. Uh, we were hosting a wine group. Uh, we had a wine group that different couples hosted each month, and we were hosting mm-hmm. this particular month. And she couldn't find her purse, and she yelled out at the top of her lungs using, again, a sailor term, where is my purse? Mm-hmm. And I, I remember pulling Nancy aside and going, you know, you really can't say that. There's people here. Our friends are here. We'll mm-hmm. try to find your purse. Um, another couple of examples uh, is um, she would sit in a chair as we're sitting at home and go, you know, can't anyone understand? I just want to go home. And she would get upset because I couldn't understand why she just wanted to go home. Of course, we were sitting in our home. Uh, I came to understand later that she really was saying, why can't I return to a time in my life when things were at peace, when I knew what was going on and I felt safe and secure? Uh, Finally, uh, I just thought of um, an incident. It was late at night. Uh, We were getting ready for bed. She said something that triggered uh, me yelling at her, and I regretted that. You know, she kind of flinched, Mm -hmm. and I realized, you know, uh, um, there's probably something going on here, and I just wasn't paying attention. Wow. So it seems very personal to the individual and, the you know, what they're going through around them. So I'd imagine the environment itself probably plays a pretty big role in that, too. Um, How can the environment trigger challenging behaviors? It's vitally important that when an individual is living in a memory care residence uh, or even at home, Mm -hmm. and I'm thinking typically of a memory care residence, that the environment is inviting, it's welcoming, is there excess noise? Is there a crowded space? I've been touring some recently opened memory care residents, and I'm blown away by how wide the hallways are, mm-hmm. how welcoming the rooms are, how friendly and engaging the staff is, mm-hmm. um, that it's lit in a nice, bright, friendly, open, sunny sort of way as opposed to being too dark. Uh, the doors that lead out of the memory care residence are disguised so they don't look like doors, mm-hmm. which means it doesn't mm-hmm. look like they're being kept in. Um, a perfect example of, of environment was when uh, we were celebrating Mother's Day in 2011, and I invited all our family, her stepchildren from her previous marriage. It was going to be a crowd, and we were going to we reserve. I reserved the dining room that they 
a private dining room that they made available for people that wanted to have family celebrations. And I was warned by the executive director, you know, that's a lot of people that might be difficult. Oh, no, no. I want, my, I want her family to be with her. Well, mm. it was crowded. And it was, he was overly stimulated. Yeah. And she got upset and anxious and angry and started exhibiting behavior uh, that uh, suggested that she was very uh, put off. Not mm. because she didn't love people or, or, or love her family, but it was just too much. Yeah, yeah. So, Don, being reactive to a difficult situation could be a problem. So how do you avoid that seemingly normal human response? Well, I'm thinking back to the example I gave when Nancy was doing whatever she was doing, and I mm. yelled at her, and she kind of flinched. And, you know, I've regretted that, but I look back and I realize that, you know, one of the things we do when somebody is exhibiting, especially when you're tired as heck, Mm-hmm. at the end of a long day and you're caring for your loved one. And it's just one more thing. And how do I deal with this? The natural reaction is to try to get rid of it, tone it down, uh, minimize the chaos, as it were. And the important thing to do, uh, unless there's safety concerns where you need to jump in and do something really radical, is to pause, take a breath, and try to figure out what exactly is going on. Mm-hmm. And not automatically react to the behavior because it's very easy to do that because it's not comfortable uh, to be able to recognize that you're normal, you're human, you're going to react, you're going to get angry, but step back and pause and realize that the best approach is to engage this individual and figure out what's going on. And sometimes that may mean, if you're really, really angry, is you just say, you know what, Um, I can't talk to you right now. I need to leave the room for a few minutes. I'll be back. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a skill in itself. I think, you know, everybody can learn in life that we got to take a moment and not just react with our emotion, especially for somebody in that circumstance. You know, I, I've heard that redirection is a decent approach. Is that true? It, it is. And by redirection, Keelan, what we mean is somebody is behaving in a certain way and maybe it's upsetting to other residents or it's distracting. And one way of engaging an individual who is exhibiting that kind of behavior is to say, hey, you know, uh, let's take a look at that photo album that you were showing me of your family. That ought to be fun and get their attention off what it is that might be upsetting them so that things are calmer. Uh, when, I was, when I first placed Nancy in memory care and I would go to leave after visiting her in those early weeks, she would naturally want to follow me out the door. Uh, we're going home. Don's yeah. leaving. And the staff would step in, hey, Nancy. Let's go fold some towels over here or do something different. So that's redirection. And most Mm. of the time, that's a pretty good approach. However, it can also be used as an excuse to not stay present and engage with what's going on with this individual. Because if all you did was redirect, you're not going to get to the heart of what's actually happening. Mm -hmm. And the, um, the better approach, if you're able to do it, is to sit and figure out, why is this person behaving the way they are? Yes, I could just redirect them, and that'll be the end of that. But that is not going to address their immediate distress. Yeah, I, you know, we've got a, a minute here. We've got to wrap up our time together, uh, Don. But um, you know, it seems like a, a, the approach is really just to be as patient as you can. I remember the last time that I uh, talked with you in studio. Um, it's really about. Uh, adjusting to their new world and where they're living right now and being a part of that and really just trying to help them 
navigate through this, you know, this new journey in life, because that's really what it is. That's exactly right. You know? If there's any message I can leave with people that are facing any of these kinds of challenges is to be willing to be present mm-hmm. and engaged in the moment of now, because there's usually something going on with this individual. And wouldn't you want, if you were having a difficulty, have somebody be able to pay attention to you, focus on you and get underneath what's going on so that you can have some peace and serenity? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Don. We appreciate you coming uh, back in studio and look forward to having you back again soon. Tina, thank you so much. I enjoyed being here and and sharing my information with uh, your audience. Yep. Coming up next on The Money Hour, choosing a great world tour to result in a winning transaction. Susan Ward with Windermere Real Estate, Yarrow Bay, right here at 1150 AM, KKNW after the short break. It's true, many of us spend more time thinking about what's for dinner than preparing for retirement. But if you think your retirement deserves more attention, Karen Koenig agrees, and she'd like to help. Hi, I'm Edward Jones Financial Advisor Karen Koenig. Together we can give your long-term retirement strategy the intention it deserves. Contact our office at 425-355-3054 or email me at karen.koenig at edwardjones.com. That's K-A-R-E-N dot K-O-E-N-I-G at edwardjones.com. Again, the number is 425-355-3054 or Karen Koenig at edwardjones.com. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. Are you frustrated in this challenging market of multiple offers? You're not alone, but having the right agent and the right strategy can stop the madness. Susan Ward with Windermere Real Estate East has assisted many individuals and families in the same position get into homes they love. Susan is a full-time realtor and has been practicing real estate for six years. Hi, this is Susan Ward. I'm with Windermere Real Estate East, Yarrow Bay office. To learn more about my strategies to get you into your new home, or if you're selling, sell for top dollar, please call me at 425-999-7721. That's 425-999-7721, and I look forward to talking to you. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, and co-host Keelan Harvey on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Now, back to the show with local mortgage experts, Tina Mitchell and Keelan Harvey. Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell. And your co-host, Keelan Harvey. Your local mortgage experts right here at 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, June 30th show. We are here to help you build a strong financial blueprint, one week and one show at a time. If you're hearing our show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast, but we're here to answer any questions or connect you with the guests that we have on the show today. Please call the show at 1-855-411-50. Again, that's 1-855-411-50 or online at themoneyr.com. In studio right now, Susan Ward with Windermere Real Estate, Yarrow Bay, choosing a great role tour to result in a winning transaction. Transaction. Susan, thank you so much for coming into studio first time. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. And a little bit about Susan. Susan Ward is with Windermere Real Estate East. She takes great care to educate and advise her clients with an informed and insightful assessment of their current real estate market. 
She's very astute, remarkable, miraculous, and extremely diligent in seeing that her clients' needs are thoroughly attended to. From their selection of their distinguished property to the review of the contractual components of the transaction through to details to inspection and on to the final and important points at closing, Susan provides close personal attention and will work tirelessly to close your transaction. Her team is there to help you in every step of the way. If you're looking to buy or sell and want a great representation, you can call Susan at 425-999-7721, or you can always call into the show uh, as well. Again, Susan, thank you so much. So Susan, uh, we often hear people say, it doesn't matter what agent you use, they're all the same. How do you respond to that? Well, this is actually so far from the truth. Picking the wrong agent could be the number one reason your transaction is a horrible experience or even worse it's an unsuccessful transaction so it's it's really easy to get stuck with a realtor who does not do much business or or doesn't even have a great work ethic so please don't be fooled because you definitely get what you pay for if you use a budget agent you're certainly going to get budget results this is your biggest purchase of your life so you definitely want the best representation you can get well, and I always talk about the 80-20 rule, and we know in sales, it doesn't matter what sales that you're in, 20% do 80% of the business, which means 80% do 20% of the business, and then you have your one percentile, the best of the best, and that's really what the show is all about, is bringing in the best experts. So, Susan, what makes a good real estate agent stand out from another? Well, first of all, number one, are they a full-time real estate agent? Unfortunately, mm-hmm. becoming a real estate agent is a fairly easy task. I hate to say it, but you take a test and, and you pass the exam and you've made it. You know, that's that's great. I even went to a restaurant one night. The valet heard me talking about real estate and he chimed in, oh, that I'm a real estate agent. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's the scariest thing uh-huh. that I could <laughs> ever hear. And it's it's part of why everybody thinks our industry looks so bad. Because if, you, if you're gonna hire this person, to represent you for the biggest investment of your life, mm-hmm. I guarantee you're going to be disappointed. At best, you know, you're going to be disappointed, but at worst, it could cost you a lot of money. Um, the second thing is experience. A very good agent does many transactions, you know, which means they know contracts in and out, as as you said in the introduction. Mm-hmm. You know, con- the contract makes the transaction. So <clears throat> you'll you'll likely um, have a solid team when you work with someone who does many transactions. Um, This will, which will as a unit make your experience as wonderful as possible. So. Well, Susan, uh, obviously you don't want a part-timer and there's a lot of them out there. You want somebody that really does it for a living, has a passion and really cares about it. It's their profession as a whole. Um, In your opinion, what is a normal number of transaction a full-time agent may do per year? Well, at, you know, every transaction or every agent is so drastically different. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to say what each you know number could be. But as Tina said at the beginning, something you should remember is the 80-20 rule. So 80% of all the transactions in the state of Washington are literally done by 20% of the people. This is yeah. such an incredible statistic. Mm-hmm. Um, so having these figures in your mind, there's no wonder why there's so much dissatisfaction from real estate consumers. Yeah, and I saw in a, uh, a stat, it was quite a few years ago, but a good agent, you know, a, one that is doing a good book of business is closing like eight transactions a year. 
That is, you know, so I mean, but then you've got your hot, you know, the ones that are doing massive volume. But if you think about it and some, I mean, they're, they might be closing a, a transaction a year. And if you think about all that it takes and all of the experience that you need, you've got to really get in there and be doing a lot of business. And Susan, I know that you do a crazy amount yeah. of deals much more yeah. than eight a year, but yeah. that's kind of your average uh, uh, agent on, on the higher end. Yeah. So you'd mentioned earlier a couple of things that consumers should look for in a great agent. Are there any other things that people need to watch for? Funny, funnily enough, great communication. I know yeah. that people are probably sitting there thinking, well, isn't that what their job is? But honestly, there's a lot of real estate agents that have terrible communication skills. Um, do, find, do you find when you're calling your real estate agent that they never answer the phone or mm-hmm. worse, they're they're responding to your phone calls with text messages? Yeah. You know, and then you try to respond to them again and they text you again and they text you again. I mean, this is going to make your transaction very frustrating when you're dealing with agents that are too busy to actually take their call or they're, or they're trying to act like they're too busy, you know? And literally, there's so many agents out there that do this because they think if they're busy, it's, it's going to make them look better. This is very frustrating. So at that point, you know, I would definitely reassess your choice immediately. If they're not going to communicate with you efficiently, they're probably not going to communicate with the agents when you're trying to buy or sell your homes. So, of course, a busy and successful agent can't always answer the phone, of course. But, you know, for me as a busy agent, I always return calls on a timely manner. You know, if I'm in a meeting, I'll send you a quick text and say, hey, I'll call you right away. And guess what? Guess who calls you back? I always call back. You have to. Um, The other thing that you need to watch for is in presenting an offer and the negotiation. I'm constantly hearing about people who right now are so nervous to get into the market. They have friends who have written 10 offers and they're just not winning. So this this is the most frustrating thing for me to hear because quite honestly, Um, The reason that offers are being written and turned down is there is a lack of communication from the agent to the list agents. You've got to communicate. I I can't even remember a time where I've had to write more than a couple offers before getting a client into a home. So I'm telling you, if you've written 10 offers, it's definitely time to interview a new agent. And a lot of that, too, with the communication, it's how you're being you're able to communicate with your client to let them know what they need to do to be successful. And that's really leading as as an expert. Absolutely. So, Susan, you're saying that not every agent knows how to write a good offer. There's more than just filling out a contract and sending it off. Isn't that the case? Well, absolutely not. Funnily enough, just like I just touched on, you, I never write an offer until I have contacted the list agent and mm-hmm. asked some critical questions. Not every person selling a house has the same goals. So if we don't communicate with the list agent, how are we going to know how best to write an offer? So the critical questions must be answered. My goal in that phone call is to determine what the sellers want out of the transaction. And this this might even be beyond the dollar amount. Not always, of course, but there's often things that people need in Mm -hmm. order to make a transaction work for them. So um, in addition, a list of agents... um, A list agent always appreciates a buyer's agent who's willing to go the extra mile for them. I mean, this makes their job easy throughout the transaction. So list agents really find that communication important because they can see they're going to be working with an agent that has great communication. There's that word, communication. It's so key. 
you know, they don't want to work with an agent who's not going to participate in the transaction. Mm-hmm. And I want to go back to as, as well with the uh, the importance of the number of transactions that you're actually closing, because as agents, you actually you can see that data with each other. And so, you know, when you're working with an agent that is full time and doing business versus not. And that's going to make a difference mm-hmm. in that that deal possibly coming together if price is equal, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So what else can somebody do to make sure that they're finding not just a great agent, but one of the best agents? Well, they definitely have to interview the agents, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, that's so critical. And definitely look for someone who's been selling real estate, multiple transactions. You know, they, they can ask how many agents that or how many transactions they've done in a year. I mean, experience is so important. They need to, you know, determine, um, you know, ask for referrals, ask for three recent referrals. And I'm not talking about Yelp. Yeah. Anyone can create a fake review. Yelp, you know, I get that often. Well, I read reviews. Ask for your last three clients mm-hmm. and call them and see how they did for them. Um, ask how many homes they sold last year as a buyer's agent. If you're looking for, if this is a buyer's agent interview, ask how many homes they personally sold, not their team. Yeah. Remember the team, you know, sometimes people lump deals together, transactions together as a team. So someone might say, well, I did 60 transactions last year. In actual fact, they only did two because they just got their license Yes. or that's all they've done. You know, that's all they do in a year. Um, So, and then the last thing is, you know, a great question for either a buyer's agent or a list agent, you know, do they have a personal assistant or an administrator that helps with the transaction? Busy agents, the agents that you want to use, I'm telling you, they, they have a hard time doing everything on their own. Mm -hmm. So a great agent has someone who's working as a team between, you know, the whole transaction. So it helps you, it helps me, it helps Mm -hmm. The transaction goes smoothly. Susan, let's talk about listing a home for a moment. What steps do you take to prevent a transaction from failing, speaking of successfully listing a home? So you definitely want to make sure that, um, of course, well, of course, we can't control everything that comes up. So we would love to be able to do that, but that doesn't happen. But what I do to cover all my bases and to protect my client is when offers come in, the first thing we do is we want to check with the lenders to check that the buyer is fully qualified and to make sure that the proof of the um, pre-approval letter is actually a legitimate one. Yes. <laughs> Believe it or not, fake ones do exist. It, it is crazy. Um, under no circumstances should an agent ever, you know, accept an offer with a pre-qualification. You mm-hmm. know, you need a pre-approval letter. And there's a big difference. A pre-qualification tells you very little about the buyer's actual ability to get a loan. Yes. So um, if they're offering to put money above appraisal, do they have the proof of funds? You know, a lot of agents, they, you know, they'll tell their clients, oh, look at this. They're willing to go above appraisal. But have they really got proof that they can do that? Sure. Um, you'd better make sure that all your your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed. So you definitely want to have someone who's fully involved in the transaction. You know, something that I do is I always attend the appraisal. You know, I want to. Which is brilliant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, because the deal can go south on 
a, an appraisal all the time. Yeah. You know, and it's not that I'm trying to manipulate anything, but we want to make sure that they are fully aware of all the amazing things that mm-hmm. you've done to the home. Yeah. If they walk in and don't understand that all these things have been done, how can they properly appraise the situation? Well, and I always say, too, with an appraisal, I mean, the appraiser, they've got to do a lot of work. And you've already yeah. done that work as a buyer agent and representing yep. the seller. You've done all of that work, gathered all the data. So why not have that information that you can share as a common courteous to the appraiser, Absolutely. here's the data that, that I've collected for this. Absolutely. So Susan, um, if if someone were hiring you to buy or sell their property or to, to help them buy or sell their property, what can they expect from, from you? So initially when I first meet with my clients um, at the first interview, I always wanna go over the purchase and sale agreement. It's absolutely crazy to me how many people are out there looking at homes, shopping houses, and they have no idea what they're signing. Yeah. I think it's so important important for buyers to know what they're signing. I, crazy, crazy me. But um, I always go over the purchase and sale agreement first thing. I also want to discuss the market. I want to let them know what's going on in the area. I want to explain that the price that's listed isn't, isn't always what the market, true market value of that house is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it might be that it's priced below market and that's, you know, an incentive for them to get multiple offers. So, you know, I always like to advise my clients and so they're informed and give them an insightful assessment of what is going on in the current market. My clients do find that I do provide close personal attention. And as you said, I do work tirelessly for every one of my clients to make sure they have a successful and enjoyable transaction. Yes, you definitely do. Well, <laughs> Susan, it's been a crazy market and, you know, many scenarios where you get multiple offers. So it's tough for a, for a buyer to stand out. How do you help your buyer stand out? You know what? I just, I want to make sure that my lender calls the list agent. That's number one. I always have them call the list agent and that makes them stand out because the agent, that's one less thing for the agent to do. The next thing is I make sure that the offer is clear and clean. I make sure the paperwork is in order. I make sure the pre-approvals are attached. I make sure the proof of funds are attached. When a list agent gets my client's offer, it, it is clear on what my client is providing. I also are offering, and I also make a call to the list agent, as you know. I introduce yeah. myself and I, I make sure that I'm writing an offer that is going to be attractive to my clients. Well, and I'll, I'll tell our listeners that your success to all of the listeners is in your realtor's details. Yes. So, Susan, thank you so much for coming into studio and uh, joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Coming up next in the Money Hour, are you ready to be an entrepreneur? Karen Coring with Edward Jones right here at 1150 AM KKNW after this short break. Are you frustrated in this challenging market of multiple offers? You're not alone, but having the right agent and the right strategy can stop the madness. Susan Ward with Windermere Real Estate East has assisted many individuals and families in the same position get into homes they love. Susan is a full-time realtor and has been practicing real estate for six years. Hi, this is Susan Ward. I'm with Windermere Real Estate East, Yarrow Bay office. To learn more about my strategies to get you into your new home, or if you're selling, sell for top dollar, please call me at 425-999-7721. That's 425-999-7721, and I look forward to talking to you. 
It's true, many of us spend more time thinking about what's for dinner than preparing for retirement. But if you think your retirement deserves more attention, Karen Koenig agrees, and she'd like to help. Hi, I'm Edward Jones Financial Advisor Karen Koenig. Together we can give your long-term retirement strategy the intention it deserves. Contact our office at 425-355-3054 or email me at karen.koenig at edwardjones.com. That's K-A-R-E-N dot K-O-E-N-I-G at edwardjones.com. Again, the number is 425-355-3054 or Karen Koenig at edwardjones.com. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, and co-host, Keelan Harvey, on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Now, back to the show with local mortgage experts, Tina Mitchell and Keelan Harvey. Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell. And co-host, Keelan Harvey. Your local mortgage experts right here on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, June 30th show. We bring into studio each week the best of the best experts in our local market on everything money. If you're hearing our show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast, but we're here to answer any questions or connect you with the guests that we have on the show today. Please call the show at one 855 411150 Again, that's one 855 411150 or online at com. And right now in studio, Karen Koenig with Edward Jones. Are you ready to be an entrepreneur? Fun conversation with Karen. Karen, thank you so much for coming into studio and joining me. Thank you, Tina. And a little bit about Karen. Karen strives to serve clients in an unbiased fashion with her support of a strong team of home office professionals. She focuses on helping a select group of entrepreneurs and families develop and implement comprehensive financial strategies. Karen received her undergraduate degree and her MBA in supply chain leadership. She holds her life, accident, and health insurance agent license, Series 7, and 66 registrations. Karen, thank you again for coming in studio. And um, first question I have is tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm going to just tell a short, brief history. Um, My first career was in the military and uh, civil service. And Basically, that's a government job, male-dominated field. Mm-hmm. Uh, you start with a base pay and or you start according to your rank. And you just get step increases based on your rank as you go through the military. The number one thing is 401k. You know, I didn't know what to do. Nobody told me. They say, yep, you've got this thrift savings plan over here. You can put money into it. So in the 2008 crash, I lost 50% of my portfolio because mm-hmm. I was in 90% C fund, which is stock, uh-huh. and then 10% in lower you know, investments. So again, I uh, didn't know a lot about um, saving or investing. Then I branched out into the corporate field uh, after I retired, and I was a project manager at Boeing. And again, another male-dominated field. I came into the industry straight as a manager. Uh, Boeing likes people to come in and work their way up the ladder, and um, I was hired in straight as a manager, like I said. Again, base pay, mm-hmm. 2 to 3% uh, raises per year. Again, you have a 401k. They call it the VIP. Again, don't know how to invest. What should I do? They have about 15 areas that you can put your money into. Nobody told me what to do. I think I made a little bit of money, but I'm not sure. Uh-huh. Um, 
then I transitioned into my financial business as a financial advisor. And the real reason why I wanted to do that is because there's no income limit. So as much as work that I put mm-hmm. in is what I'm going to get paid. And again, even though it's a male-dominated industry, there's still only about 16% uh, female financial advisors. I just feel like my eyes were opened after yeah. I took this Series 7 and 66, and I kind of understood the keys to investing. And this big light bulb went on, and uh, I found that it's really important to have a plan. Yeah, and I just have to say, Karen, it's really great to see somebody that's gone through life experiences and actually been able to use that um, tragedy, if you want to call it that, and to bring it into their business and really make a difference. So um, uh, I wanted to give you a shout out for that. So let's talk about why you decided to hang your license with Edward Jones. Well, you know, Edward Jones has been in business since 1922, and we're the largest limited partnership in the world. And what does that mean? That means that the financial advisors and the associates that work back in home office, we actually own the company. So you can't buy us on the New York Stock Exchange Mm -hmm. and um, we are, again, we own the business. They put money back into training us. They pay for the Series 7. They pay for the 66. They really put a a whole lot of uh, money into their training programs. And then... um, the fact that you have the advantage of working with a financial advisor who takes the time to get to know you. And that's kind of what sets us apart from the other financial Mm -hmm. companies is we actually sit down, we get to know you, we ask what your goals are. And we think that you should be able to uh, go to your local advisor. So we have 15,000 offices across the country and Canada. And a lot of people say, wow, I I see Edward Jones offices everywhere. Mm -hmm. But we feel that you should be able to go to your local advisor. If you live in Mukatio, you should be able to go to Mukatio and have your advisor be there. And I know you're on a journey writing a book. Congratulations. Thank you. Can you share a little bit about uh, about that? Yeah. So um, uh, it's called Woman on Top. And it. it's uh, how to win in a man's world in a woman's way. And that's kind of why I told my history of, mm-hmm. of my work uh, relations. And for most women speaking out and expressing their individuality in such male-dominated fields um, is a recipe for disaster, or it can be. But in my case, it was uh, a recipe for success. And as I said, I own and operate my own financial advisory business. And my mission is really simple, Tina. It's to empower women with the right systems and tools and know-how so they can gain the financial and time freedom to spend on what matters most, their family, their friends, leisure, and contributions to the economy. So if you want to learn more about the steps to building wealth for your business, um, I'd like you to go out to www.womanontop.biz and book a 15-minute call with me. And it's a $250 value, which you'll get for absolutely free. And then I'll add you to my book launch team. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Karen, for uh, sharing that. And what about your path of becoming a self-made success? Well, I understood what my key desires and wants were. So Mm -hmm. working through the military, working through Boeing, I figured out I didn't want to be in that corporate environment. I wanted to do something that had an unlimited uh, income potential, and I didn't want to have a manager that was telling me what my bonuses and uh, raises were going to be. I also understood my fears, my beliefs, and my mindset. And then from that, I I developed a system to help educate business owners on how to work with money and build their wealth. 
then what I what I personally do is I sit down and I reverse engineer the action steps for people to get mm-hmm. from point A to B. So whatever their goals are, we talk about that. Then I help them build the right system and process with a team of people to get where they want to be. And the benefits of doing it this way is they learn how to earn more money, they learn how to save more money, and then they gain more time and freedom. So Karen, for anyone that's listening to my show that is a business owner or is going into um, the idea of being an entrepreneur, what should they be thinking about? Okay, so the biggest thing they should be thinking about is they need to prepare themselves financially. So Mm -hmm. for one thing, as an entrepreneur, you're going to pay more taxes. So as a self-employed individual, you have to pay basically two times the amount in Social Security and Medicare taxes because you have to cover the portion that normally the employer would cover. And then you have to take complete control of your retirement savings. And um, several retirement plans are available for self-employed people, and a lot of Uh, the self-employed entrepreneurs don't take advantage of this and it's critical for your business because you get tax deferred growth and tax deductible contributions out of Mm -hmm. that so you can do things like an owner uh, owner only 401k a SEP IRA a simple IRA or a solo defined benefit plan and last if your income varies due to the type of business that you're in you're going to want to build an emergency fund for those unanticipated expenses and then make sure that you keep those uh, in a low risk and uh, liquid type of account. So Karen, through your journey and the experiences that you've had, I'm sure there's um, been time you have wasted money, had stress, and there probably could have been a better way to get to where you've gotten now. What would be one thing that you would change that you could share uh, with someone listening that is getting ready to go on the same journey and might want to take some shortcuts? Okay, so I wish I would have known then what I know now. <laughs> Did we say that? Yes. Uh, and um, <laughs> But it's nice to be able to share it, right? Right. And the, the top things are you want to start early. Mm -hmm. So even if you don't start early, it's not too late. That's what I tell people when they come in and they're embarrassed because they're in their 40s and they haven't done anything. The next thing is, you've heard this, pay yourself first. And what I mean by that is put 5 to 10 5 to 10% away for retirement because you really are paying yourself for down the road once Uh you're done with your business. And then you need to understand your risk tolerance. You need to understand how you want your money invested and why it's invested the way it is. And then you need to seek advice. I just think it's critical to have an advisor. Yes. So, and I believe that too, that's what the show is all about. And, you know, the the reason my why behind bringing the show is to bring experts in in all areas of finances um, because you, you need to have that expert advice and expertise to make sure that you're uh, getting the the best out of your money so that you can have a financial great future for your family. Right. So Karen, uh, best advice that you have for growing your business? So uh, the number one thing that is uh, working for me right now is I have a system, which is what mm-hmm. I keep going back to. One of the biggest things Edward Jones is a proponent of is going out and actually door knocking and knocking on people's doors and telling them about you. But I really hate doing that. So Mm -hmm. my biggest thing is networking. And so I go out to networking events. Which that's how we met. That's how we met. Because I'm just like you. (laughs) It's all about getting connected face to face. Getting connected Mm -hmm. and then getting your story out there. Mm -hmm. And then I'm really intentional with the business cards and the information that I get from those networking events. I book 15 minute calls and I get to know the business owners. Then what I do is I send... um, 
I send referrals to those business owners first to let them know that I'm I'm very serious about doing business with them. Mm-hmm. And then second, I'm really all about thank you cards. I send a thank you card out. I enter them into my contact management system. And then I'm all about social media. So I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn, and I like to stay um, connected with my um with my people. Yeah, it's a great advice, Karen. And now, because there is so much with technology, you want to take advantage of technology when you uh, when you have your touch points, but not let go of the old touch points that people used to do. And right. if you're doing them now, you really stand out in the crowd, and that's what it's all about. Uh, Karen, so best action uh, step for an entrepreneur to implement right now? So... The best action step is book that free 15-minute call with me (laughs) and get on my calendar so you can be clear about your financial and wealth building goals for your business. And again, I'm going to put that out there, www.womanontop.biz, and get on my calendar. So, Karen, I always talk about the start of your day and the end of your day. Everything in between is going to make a difference what your day looks like, but how you start it and how you end it is critical. I have morning routines, um, I'm sure, morning rituals, I'm sure you do as well. Can you share with my listeners and the importance of that and what you do? Yeah, so what do I do before I get up out of bed every morning? I do three things. I run through the things that I'm grateful for. Um, I pray for families and friends that are in need or struggling, and then I kind of set my intentions for the day. So whatever action steps I'm going to take and that I need to get done for me to consider that it was a successful day. Love it. Mine is thank you, motivation, and affirmation. So it fits right in there. It does. Karen, thank you so much for uh, coming into studio, and congratulations again um, on your uh, soon-to-be, or is it published? Not yet. Yes. Okay. Soon to be published book. I'm very excited to uh, get a copy of it. So thank you. All right. You're welcome. This is your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell. And your co-host, Keelan Harvey. Signing off for the day. We'll be here next weekend, same time, same place, right here at 1150 AM KKNW. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145420, and Keelan Harvey, MLO 1330075, are licensed loan originators with Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC, and MLS 7233. The views expressed by the speakers on the preceding program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC, nor are they necessarily endorsed by Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC.